first time you ever were exposed to Terrence McKenna? Yeah, that was in college after I had taken psychedelics. So it it was either Aiden again who uh, introduced me to Terrence McKenna because I know he was a big fan or I found out about them through The Contortionist, a band that we've mentioned before. It's my probably my favorite band, and they are also inspired by Terrence McKenna. They did a Ask Me Anything, in which they re- reference him as a major influence. Oh, it's cool. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah, it is really good, and and uh, in. Every time I, I look at the title I have in front of me of one of the topics uh, that we want to discuss today, which is intuition, as Terrence McKenna talks about it, I just hear the lyrics from language uh, by the contortionist. Uh, intuition combined with our calculations will revive the mother-son. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that definitely has a lot more resonance having having watched and listened to all the things I've watched and listened to <laughs> over the past like week or so <laughs> getting, getting ready for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The whole, the whole like history is as a progression to some sort of like transition to another epoch. That's like mm-hmm. qua- quasi uh, eschatological, <laughs> like end, end oh, of days. Wait. Uh, <laughs> eschatological so that's let, let me double check that i'm getting this right it's basically like the uh, eschatology is like the the study of like what happens at the in the end of days like the apocalypse oh yeah the part of theology concerned with death judgment and the final destiny of the soul and of humankind oh wow <laughs> yeah terence does seem to go in for really epic ideas doesn't he (laughs) yeah (laughs) one thing you can say about whatever he says about anything (laughs) is that it's not going to be boring yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no he and he can talk just for a long time and and not bore you (laughs) if -hmm. if you're interested in the same kind of if you're interested in the things he's talking about Mm mm-hmm yeah, he, he's just fascinating to me because he has so many, I think, really valuable and uh, illuminating ideas. And I don't agree with everything he says. I think he may take some things literally that don't need to be taken literally. I think he uh, can kind of like go, going going a little bit beyond. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean... I don't know exactly what you mean by taking things too literally, but my my kind of quip with him is that he, well, especially, um, especially on the to- topic of intuition, he he really dismisses the whole whole idea of uh, inductive and deductive logic as being anything really special. Yeah, which is which is interesting especially when he he uses to support his point the fact that that a lot of research in pure mathematics is is based on intuition yeah which is which is definitely true because you know that the people who are doing 
the research on the on the cutting edge of of pure math have to have to have really sharp intuitions about you know clever tricks to make things work and you know seeing things that no one has seen before but mm -hmm. that's all based on having a very very rigorous logical knowledge of this huge body of of facts <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i guess i guess what i was trying to say is that he can be very outlandish sometimes and come to outlandish conclusions mm -hmm. which are interesting thought experiments but maybe he doesn't always come to correct conclusions yeah what, what would be an example of that for you well uh this this point you brought up is actually uh, I I have the same quip against his the way the way he kind of attacks science and logic at the same time. So why don't we just jump into this this concept? So he has this uh, th there's there's a recording of him talking about the subject of intuition and. He begins the talk by saying that, but kind of uh, identifying what intuition is. He describes it as feeling into things, uh, coming to answers that leave no trail. Right, right. I thought that was that was really interesting way to put it, leaving no trail. It's kind of a metaphorical, metaphysical representation. And what he seems to mean by that is that you have... A conclusion but you have no argument for it right right and he, he also talks about how it's often it operates just almost immediately in the moment mm. like it takes very little processing time i think yeah i think that's the core of it and he says that they uh, intuition is often express truth in a controversion to the forward flow of logic right Right, which again, yeah, I would, I would kind of disagree with that because I feel like in the end, the two have to kind of come together at some point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he, I think he directly contradicts himself when he says this because so his, his main gripe with science is that it is based on inductive reasoning, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, Trevor, can you tell us... Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what inductive reasoning is. <laughs> I need to look. This is sad because I'm taking a class in exactly this right now, but I need to look it up. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you, <laughs> can, you can you tell me what it is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so inductive reasoning is when you have a series of outcomes that you look at. <laughs> actually, actually, I can give it a shot. Yeah. Um, so in, in uh, discrete math, which is this class I'm taking right now, an example of, of inductive reasoning would be Say you have a certain theorem that you want to prove for all all numbers, all numbers x. So you would uh, first assume just assume it's true for for x, and then if you can prove that it's also true for x plus one, then you've proved that it's true for any x. So in layman's terms, I think what that's saying is, correct me if I'm wrong. So you have bunch of outcomes in a row and you say what happens when we do this thing and if you do that thing and a hundred times in a row it does the same thing 
as the outcome, then you can expect that the 101st time, it will also do that same thing. Right, right. I think that's, yeah, that's like if you did X plus 1 and then X plus 2 and X plus 3 and, you know, you just kept going. Yeah. So it's easy kind of arguing that, that at any point pretty much anything could happen, no matter what you've seen, you know. I think I think that is a part of his argument, although he doesn't say it in those terms because, uh, well, well, so, so he kind of picks apart science because science is based on inductive reasoning. It's you have a, a, a large sample size, which represents the repetitions, and you see, is there a trend when we do this thing? Is there uh, an outcome that we can predict based on what we've seen before? And so, so it's true. Science is based on inductive reasoning. Now, there's a counterpart to inductive reasoning, which is deductive reasoning. You want to give a stab at what that is? <laughs> I can try. <laughs> I mean, isn't isn't that basically the whole like uh, if you know that if if p then q is true, and you know p is true, then then q must be true. It's that kind of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like formal logic proofs. Mm -hmm. it's by by the use of logic, simply showing that a statement is true. Right, which goes back to the time of of the ancient Greeks. Mm -hmm. Like a really which, long which, time. Yeah, which uh, as does inductive reasoning. Right. I've always thought it was really beautiful that those same principles are are basically what make computers work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this two thousand year trajectory of just the same thing being developed and developed and developed. Yeah. Well, that's wild though, because isn't it true that computers are based on inductive reasoning? Well, I think they're based more on the deductive mm -hmm. logic because it's it's a bunch of uh like and or nor not gates that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So I, I think the way that, that computer synapses work is that there's a fair amount of error that could happen if you just had uh, one of the physical object running the computation. So there would be no certainty involved. Because you when you have a, a digital system, you need every single zero and one to be exactly where it wants to be and if it's not then something horrible could happen right yeah yeah i mean well yeah one a single zero or one being off could could throw things off so as i understand it there's actually the the the, the chips uh or i think it's on a, a lower level than, than that shows my ignorance on the technicality, but uh, the actual physical object, each one has about a 60% chance of being giving the right answer. Uh, and then the way that they turn that into something that is always 100% of the time true and accurate, as it would seem, is they have like 10 of them and they have them all do the same computation, and then uh, the consensus among those is much more likely, astronomically more likely, to be accurate. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. 
Are, are you thinking of transistors? Transistors. That like that's 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 the unit I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's interesting. How is that connected to? Oh, it's just interesting that uh, inductive reasoning, which seems to be so, uh, bas basically Terence throws this under the bus and says, how could you base anything off of inductive re reasoning of any value? And yet all of computers and everything that they can accomplish uh, is built on inductive reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> In a very little, literal sense. Yeah. Um, but that even isn't the core of why I disagree with his statement on intuition and science because he goes on to talk about pure maths as being intuitional. Can you, can you describe what he's saying here? Yeah. Yeah. So he was basically saying that you know, when a great mathematician sits down to, to prove something that's never been proved before or come up with some new idea that basically it's, it's, it's like a flash of inspiration that they can't explain mm -hmm. that just kind of appears. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, well, actually I have this written down. Yeah. So what he says is the first thing they have to do is just, con they have to conceptualize a bunch of different relationships between different kind of abstract mathematical objects in and, the mind right <laughs> and it's all in their head and then they have to explore their intuitions about all those conceptions and then mm. they kind of go backwards and and write formal statements that describe their relationships mm. but the but the thing is the, the validity of the validity of any of those formal statements depends on it all being able to work logically Exactly. And, and someone else being able to verify it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the gripe I had with it too. Because yeah. he says, he, 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 he makes, a, I think, a solid point that the, these pure mathematics are based in intuition or at least begin with intuition. And then he says, and then there's some, like some logic stuff after that, but, but that means that it's all intuition all the way through. <laughs> it's kind of this like a uh, little brain fart there i think yeah uh, as you said it's the logic of it is is paramount to to the understanding yeah yeah to, to the verification that it that it uh that it works at all i mean what he what he might say is that because it, it maps so beautifully onto nature it has to be true in some sense yeah, without right. being able to verify it logically, and and it is kind of uh, I think it is kind of related to the idea that kind of like we were talking about with Gödel's or Bach and and Gödel's incompleteness theorem, like the 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 system itself can't prove its own validity. Mm. Like you you can just be the kid that's always asking why after every explanation <laughs> you're given, <Yeah>. and <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's not really an answer to that besides to construct some other larger formal system then you have to prove the validity of that so mm. he is he does kind of have a point because uh theoretically there is there is no like bottom level that proves something completely but mm -hmm. uh i don't think it's as 
dramatic as he makes it out to be. Yeah, because let's take it back to his statement about intuition. He says it expresses truth in contravention to the forward flow of logic. That seems to be saying it's true in spite of logic, and that directly contradicts his later statement about uh, pure mathematics, which is heavily reliant upon logic yeah well <laughs> i guess if he's dismissing logic he wouldn't care about these contradictions <laughs> <laughs> this feels a lot like a conversation that i would constantly try to have with a spiritual friend back in boulder who is very enmeshed in the spiritualism culture Boulder <laughs> was that that guy who did acid like every every day for like a while yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I remember meeting him one time that was, uh, that was something uh-huh. he's yeah he's interesting guy um when he says it, it like contradicts or contravenes the flow of the forward flow of logic i think he's he's more talking about that intuition is like a jump ahead to where logic would have gotten anyway oh interesting and then then you work backwards from that towards what you already know okay i think i think that's kind of what he's saying i think that's that's a really valuable point and though he though he does go out of his way to pick apart and say hey look science which is based on inductive reasoning is not mathematics which is rooted in intuition and uses deductive reasoning and he says that science has appropriated math yeah i mean he he does kind of have a point in that the the scientific method is is imperfect and right. it can be biased and oh. you know even in and in actual science like the the method itself breaks down it's not as clean as as you're taught in like seventh grade right exactly because a lot of the greatest revelations to science have been through inspiration and intuition for example darwin's theory of evolution yeah or or just like mistakes (laughs) yeah that too (laughs) yeah i i do think i yeah I, i don't think science is is just kind of stealing from from math and just kind of using it to its own advantage i think they're they're pretty deeply interconnected Mm. why is that uh well i I guess it depends what kind of science you're talking about i mean if you're talking like about like biology that's actually pretty hard to to quantify using math way way more so than like physics Mm. or, or even chemistry um just because it's so so complicated but the fact that you can describe the universe so elegantly despite the fact that the math gets really hairy sometimes but the fact that we can come up with those equations that predict so so well what's going to happen or or give us a probability or whatever i I think it's it's pretty clear that that it's not just it's not an example of using math for something it wasn't meant for Mm. though of course i think Terence would say that science really has nothing to do with that sort of situation. It was an intuition that 
used math and then you just kind of overlaid it on the world as you see it and that science as an inductive process had nothing to do with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean well it's yeah i mean it's it's not always the case that that it's only through research in pure mathematics that that new things are discovered mm-hmm. and and in other scientific fields i mean like yeah like think about einstein i mean he wasn't he wasn't doing just pure math research he was actually th- just thinking about the way the world worked and yeah there, there was definitely intuition involved in that but he wasn't starting just from pure math. He was starting from from observations about how the world worked. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They're kind of incontrovertible. Yeah, although I mean, we know we know general we know relativity can't be completely correct because it doesn't explain everything. So it's it's still kind of wrong in some sense. But hmm. yeah, maybe maybe you could argue that the only way we're going to get to a theory of everything is through some kind of pure math, but. I, I don't really know if you can support that. Yeah, or if a theory of everything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I was listening to uh, this either mathematician or physicist talk about a theory of everything, and and this idea that that you know we have this idea that a theory of everything has to be elegant and simple, mm. but but that's very very you know biased towards our human brains, and if there was some really advanced civilization, uh where you know they, they could look at a theory of everything that de- that demands you know holding a thousand qu- equations in your head at once mm-hmm. and they could be like oh yeah that's so simple and elegant <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i think i think once you have things like holding an arbitrary number of equations in your head then you kind of have to take it all the way to the extreme and say that the only theory of everything is everything Right, because because you can't have a computer to represent something larger than itself. Right, but you you can obviously compress information about hmm. any anything given a, a certain set of rules. Huh. Yeah, there's actually this idea out there that that intelligence is compression, like compression of information. Oh, go on. <laughs> I don't know how much how much I can say about this, but it's it's uh yeah it's it's like a computer science thing. Um, the, the basically the more concisely you can describe something, the 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 higher the mark of intelligence that 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 displays. Um, I think you mean to say, the quicker you can say it, the better it is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The more the more concisely you can say something, the better it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that, that, that yeah. that's a really interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, I'm surprised we got this far into this without really talking about psychedelics. Hardly. <laughs> yeah. With, yeah, with with Terence McKenna, it's like so we were talking about something and oh, psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> But actually, before we jump on to the psychedelic strain, because there's a lot to say there, I just want to say uh, one more thing about the science and intuition. Um, is I, I think he, he's getting to an idea here that is really important to recognize, which is that science, while it is a 
robust view of the world that can teach us a lot, it has its own limitations because it is, at its heart, built upon inductive reasoning. And I think one of the places where that comes out the strongest is when you look uh, at individual experiences and compare them to each other. Because science, by its nature, by needing a larger sample size to be more reliable, has this effect of, of flattening of the details and reductionism, where it leaves out important differences from individual experience, such as personality, linguistic intent, and uniqueness of individuals. Right. Right, yeah, there are certain things that will almost certainly be beyond a very like technical scientific description. And isn't that kind of what people mean by the idea of emergence? Like there are th- Emergence. So... So, like, emergence would be there's there's no such thing as an ant colony. There's individual ants, but the ant colony is yeah. an emergent property of all the ants acting in a certain way. Oh, wow. That's yeah. fascinating. Be- yeah, and also because, like, uh, slime molds, which are super fascinating because they exhibit intelligence in a way that... Is, 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 so, so what a slime mold is, if you're not familiar, is... It's kind of like a colony, and at the same time, it's like an amoeba. It's like a, a single-celled organism, but it shapes itself in these weird ways to be to, to grow. Uh, and and the, the shapes that it forms are capable of solving NP-complete problems. <laughs> in order to more effectively optimize their their livelihood wow without having any central nervous system whatsoever yeah that's wild so they can like solve mazes and stuff yeah yeah so so they'll solve the maze and find the absolute most direct path through yeah that's amazing <laughs> yeah so, so a lot of people will say that something like consciousness could be an emergent property as well. Right. Yeah. That you can't. Yeah. E- even describing all of, all of the parts doesn't really, really get at what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that may be the only thing that could describe all of the parts is the thing itself. Right. Right. So I guess that leads us to, uh, I think the biggest question here is, Trevor, what have you been smoking? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Air. How's that going out for you? How's it going? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, like I said, I I haven't smoked anything for pretty much four months. Yeah. Mm. I guess I stopped like June, June twenty ninth or something. Um, so yeah yeah I've, I've been mostly able to keep the the cravings at bay but yeah mm. yeah listen, listening to this <laughs> terence mckenna and uh dennis mckenna stuff has has definitely uh <laughs> made me a little sad that i just can't get 
get like really high and think about all this stuff. <laughs> mm. But so 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 your experience with with sobriety has would you say it's been mostly just trying to not want the drug or no I'd, I'd say it's yeah i mean i try to see it more as appreciating the benefits of not doing it just kind of like more mm. more motivation and kind of being more clear-headed and uh and yeah not having another thing is just kind of a dopamine dump potentially mm-hmm. and also you know just not yeah. having to worry being able to worry slightly less about getting coronavirus uh-huh. <laughs> and it being bad uh, yeah, because like I said, by the time I had stopped, basically the 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 fear that I was like dooming myself to die on a respirator in a hospital potentially was taking most of the fun out of the experience. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that could cause you to have anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess so. One one more thing I want to talk about with intuition. I thought it was really interesting what he said uh, about intuition being perceived by society as kind of inherently female. Inherently right. undesirable. Yeah, I, I, I had never really, that had never really occurred to me before. But mm, interesting. But I mean, it is kind of like a stereotype, right? Like men are supposed to be more, more logical and and be able to think about huh. things more. Objectively. Well, let me explain <laughs> that to you. <laughs> Don't worry your pretty little head about it. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Yeah, no, no. If you if you read period pieces and like books that were written hundred, two hundred years ago, it's kind of sickening <laughs> how much they fall into these stereotypes about logic being a something that men can do and women are all oh we're so soft and intuitional. Yeah, and emotional, and illogical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was just so deeply ingrained in everyone's thinking. Including including women, yeah, most most women. They just like yeah, didn't even think to absolutely to you know challenge it. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's it's not something that we've necessarily transcended as a culture. I think there are a lot of people who still embody these uh, stereotypes, both men and women, who subscribe to this because they haven't uh, addressed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this this is interesting because we're talking about uh, on the verge of talking about feminism in regards to Terence McKenna, and I did find a video where he was talking about this specifically about what is the place of feminism in regards to like his psychonautic explorations and Mm -hmm. shamanic uh, psychedelic use Mm -hmm. and he kind of starts by saying I don't know if there really is a way that they fit together but then he goes on and says if they did fit together well you have um, a sort of a cultural neurosis in our culture of an ego inflation Uh, in the West and that it's maybe specifically the masculine ego that is being inflated. Right. Mm -hmm. 
um, and and he equips also that maybe that's just because we don't have enough ego dissolving psychedelic plants in our culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course. But then he says that this uh, ego inflation of the masculine is represented by our religion as a culture in the West. Monotheism is, he says, the I think he says like the only religion he's aware of that the the head honcho god man doesn't have big big daddy uh, <laughs> doesn't have anything to do with women at all. <laughs> yeah, but, no, I, I think we we maybe saw the same thing. He described it as a locker room religion, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Which I mean. Uh, Mary would be the obvious counterexample to that, but I guess that's she doesn't really count because she's Mary, human. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you had the, the 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 virgin birth. You know, God doesn't doesn't. Touch. <laughs> it, it was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't God. Well, oh, I, I guess it, it was. was it wasn't the Father. It was the Holy Spirit. I see. Even though <laughs> it would make sense. Well, I might be getting my theology wrong. It would make more sense if it was the father, I guess. If that's his whole mm-hmm. thing. Just to be the father. <laughs> I don't know. The daddy. Yeah. Um Yeah, I thought I thought that was that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and that the that, that masculine inflated ego is obsessed with punishment and power and punishing people for breaking arbitrary taboos which they call sins right right and that's that's so tied to the to the idea of of the body and just kind of uh yeah just kind of happenstance things that uh you know with like sexuality or or uh, digestion that kind of thing that mm. that like existed before all the the religion and culture imposed their their rules on it yeah yeah, so so Terence has this theory that he is famous for floating, which is a really fascinating idea. It's the, uh, as you put it, the stoned ape theory, where he kind of kind of outlines it like you had in Africa uh, apes in in the trees, or you know our our predecessors. Uh, in trees and then there's a, a climate change where it becomes much more arid uh, in, in prehistory and so all of these gathering communities uh, you know food, food gathering uh, suddenly have to take to the plains uh, the grasslands and become hunters and omnivores and basically eat everything or, or try everything to see is this a viable food source and one of the substances or, or one class of su- substances is psychedelics which is well known to grow on cow patties so you have out in the fields uh, out in the plains you have uh, cows or other similar animals grazing and 
leaving their dung behind and then these psychedelic mushrooms growing out of that and then you have some half-starved ape trying to look for food and finds the psychedelic mushrooms and eats them yeah yeah it's really really fascinating and yeah so and kind of the the continuation of that is that that's that was a very integral part of our human evolution of of language and and the you know the the growth and size of our brains and that whole thing yeah <laughs> which i i i'd i'd buy it. it 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 seems to explain a lot that otherwise wouldn't make as much sense yeah i think i think it's it's pretty plausible mm-hmm. and i think he did uh maybe this is something that dennis mckenna was saying but like one of the the main guys who has proposed that theory like does not do psychedelics at all <laughs> so it's not like it's huh. it's only the only people who are proposing it are like biased because they they believe psychedelics have mm. some some magical power <laughs> <laughs> um I, I thought it was interesting because i had heard that theory before but i never really thought of the fact that that doesn't just extend to psychedelics like there there are lots of plants with with medicinal properties that they could have encountered too right yeah and just kind of found by chance yeah that have have different effects to our our physical physiology Mm -hmm. that would yeah that's fascinating of course i'm sure there are a lot of people dying from eating poisonous stuff too (laughs) yeah but you gotta you gotta eat something right (laughs) trial and error and i i think this is part of my own modern philosophy today as I've uh, adopted it from friends who have made this their lifestyle, which is to expose yourself to a wide variety of uh, natural things. You know, go, go out in nature and not only walk amid the trees, but, you know, take a leaf, put it in your mouth, touch the dirt, put your fingers into your mouth with the dirt on them like uh and yeah and in doing so you're exposing yourself to a wider microbiome uh increasing your fortitude in your immune system yeah i mean yeah it is it is true that we're uh how how isolated we are in in the society we live in is is creating like medical problems like you know food allergies and that kind of thing because those problems don't yeah. really exist at all in, in developing countries where where the the there's not so much isolation and and just like sterilization. Yeah, definitely. And and not even just like medical problems, but just well being, like in general sense of of wellness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I bet we're gonna learn so many crazy things about the human microbiome in the next like 100 years <laughs> I, feel, I feel like the study of it is, is very young if you're enjoying what you're listening to so far we really hope you'll consider supporting us somehow you can either find us on facebook or instagram and follow us there or visit our website at postwavepodcast.com or you can even get in touch with us directly uh, at postwavepodcast at gmail.com on our website, you can also find links to follow us on your favorite platform. And uh, we really appreciate when people uh, leave us a nice review or uh, give us a follow. Yeah, we hear that's a really valuable way to spread our 
podcast in these early days. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so he has this way of framing the Genesis in in the Bible of a struggle over a psychedelic substance, right? Yeah, I thought that was really cool. (laughs) So spot on. It was the first drug bust. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you can't eat that. That's pure knowledge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't eat of this tree or you will become like us yeah. with the knowledge of good yeah. and evil. <laughs> Makes me think of that meme with, with Pooh, Pooh the Bear. I don't know this meme that you're talking I don't know. about. He's like <laughs> dipping his hand into the honey. And I think Tigger says something like, Don't eat that, Pooh. You can't eat that. You're eating something, something. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I see. Find an example. You're eating knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Pure metaphysical knowledge. Yeah, and I think that kind of gets back to the idea of, of history is leading towards some kind of of knowledge like that about about our place in the world or what we are or, you know, the nature of the universe. Hmm. That that's, yeah, that, that's kind of, I, th- I think he says something like, um, yeah, he said, he says religion is, is kind of an anticipation of, of this apocalyptic event where we cross into a, a new state of, of being. Can, can you talk a little more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, in, in most major religions, there's there's some kind of end of days story, mm. and you know, in, in the Christian Bible, it's the second com- second coming of Christ, and hey, the four nice horsemen job, of the Christ, <laughs> <laughs> the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They, they might be involved somehow with with the second coming. <laughs> oh, oh dear, <laughs> I don't I don't want to know how that's involved. <laughs> um I think I think dead people are also involved. <laughs> what what people? Dead people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh-huh. yeah. Um I'm I'm speechless. <laughs> so we're <laughs> I just love uh, listening to cra- you crack yourself up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So, so I mean, the the place my mind goes to, of course, is is artificial intelligence, because I think that will 
<laughs> Did you say something? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> Dick jokes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So the place my mind automatically goes, uh, of course, is is artificial intelligence and, and the idea mm-hmm. of a singularity that's going to be a, a very very significant event in in human history that we can't really see beyond we can't really tell what the outcomes are going to be mm. and i think that will be the kind of thing that that redefines our relationship with the universe and our and our place in it and our our knowledge of of what's actually going on and yeah i mean what it what it means to be human fundamentally yeah i i, I remember having some thoughts after having taken psychedelics of thinking that i or else the universe was potentially on a trajectory towards ascending the physical plane that we know of, of three dimensions plus one time and uh, working its way into higher numbers of spatial dimensions. And this idea was kind of, I, I think, also championed by Terence McKenna he seems to have believed this or something of the sort in a very literal sense. Uh, I, I think that the AI technological singularity is at the very least a very good parallel to that concept. Yeah, and I think it's possible that could happen without AI, but the AI is just kind of accelerating it. Mm-hmm. Because I or, think it, it all has to do with, yeah, the, the accumulation of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that the AI is maybe like the sinew of it. It's the, the structure by which that change foments, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or it's just kind of, uh, yeah, augmenting our ability. Mm. Or, or, or else maybe redefining what we are because to achieve such a transformation right it's a a birth onto a newer plane that that he's talking about but at the same time it's the end of days it's it's a transformation it's uh, a loss in some regards of what you were because what you were couldn't have achieved that transformation in order to achieve the transformation you have to become something greater something different and so by embracing a technological singularity as part of our own sense of self as opposed to identifying ourselves just as flesh and bones biological creatures we are embracing that change which could take us into the higher plane of existence yeah yeah i think that's spot on (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and that's an example of like a really out there sort of statement that i wouldn't necessarily stand behind but since terence mckenna said it i'll I'll say it in this context for sure. <laughs> it's it's a fascinating idea that I can't dismiss out of hand and 
it's something that I, I like to consider. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the, the higher dimensional thing, but yeah, all the rest of it, I think, I think, could totally be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and yeah, and it's like it's not not. I would never make an assertion that I think that we are going to go from this number of dimensions to a higher number of dimensions, but I think it's a really valuable thought experiment to consider that maybe as outlandish as that sounds, as impossible, literally impossible as that sounds, maybe maybe there is meaning to it. Maybe there is a way in which that actually is possible. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends how loosely you're taking the the meaning of the word dimensions. Uh, and I mean it in a in a in actually a literal sense, in a, a yeah. physical spatial dimension sort of sense. Hmm. Right, because why? Here's here's the the question that that flummoxes me: Why three dimensions? Why why are there three dimensions? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the same thing as asking, like, why is the speed of light what it is? Why is, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, why why are any of the constants of the universe what they are? I mean, yeah, it is. It maybe it's a little more interesting than that because it's it's uh it's just so fundamental to the way everything works. <laughs> yeah, and but, so arbitrary, right? I mean, it might seem that way to us, but I mean. I don't know. Yeah, it it depends what you mean by arbitrary. It's so easy to imagine that there could be a way of having life that does not rely on being in that particular number of dimensions. Uh, I I think the experience of psychedelics can be a really valuable lens at which to to look at this. I, I have personally had experiences where it seemed to me as though I were trespassing upon uh, existence in a different number of dimensions, in, in four spatial dimensions. Huh. Can, can you kind of explain that what that was like? Yeah. Uh, so th- th- this particular instance I'm, I'm thinking about was uh, the first time that you did any uh, acid, which... We all did two tabs of acid, and um, this was when me and Aiden dicked off and walked around campus and stuff, and we went to a performance of, of people like dancing on, on campus. It was mm-hmm. really good, and <laughs> and I had the experience of sitting in the audience, and you know the whole audience is like laughing and enjoying the performance and then my experience was that just this knowledge and awareness of all of these entities around me all of them laughing and seeing me and laughing at me as this being this three-dimensional ape creature which through the use of this substance is having the temporary experience of stepping onto this plane of existence with a, a greater number of dimensions. So th- these were like these extra dimensional entities all around me 
they're all laughing they're all laughing at me like <laughs> what is this thing doing and it was very good natured and and kind but they were all laughing at me <laughs> <laughs> huh i guess I, i'm still not so you felt like the people around you were from extra dimensions kind of well, I it was more that I saw them not as apes, not as human meatbags, but as uh, I was having an awareness of them as entities. And as entities, they existed not confined to three dimensions, but more naturally in a higher number of dimensions. Uh, I mean, I, I could see saying that, that like consciousness itself is, is kind of like another dimension because it's it seems to necessarily exist i i don't separate place. i don't buy that i feel like that's kind of gilding the lily right that's uh taking the iridescence on the butterfly wing as terence mckenna talks about which i don't really subscribe to that sort of framing uh what do you what do you mean by that just that like consciousness being like uh this thing that sort of happens accidentally after the fact uh, on top of everything else. It, it, it goes back to what we were talking about in the Nagel episode of what's, what it's like to be a bat, where he talks about how you have these complete systems which purport to describe consciousness or describe uh, what, what, what thought or whatever it was, but that somehow managed to leave out consciousness altogether. And that when you have a complete system like that, and then you try to add consciousness in on top of that, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I think of the idea of consciousness existing in some kind of extra dimension, I think of, I mean, again, it's, it's not really the idea of a uh, dimension is in a spatial dimension, but some kind of other, other quantum field that's that's just its own thing that can't really be reduced to anything other than what what it is hmm. and it's it's still you know it's still interacting with with everything else all the all the the matter but it's it's something that you can't really uh yeah in some sense it's 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 separate from everything else and it's just it's just you can't you can't reduce it to anything so so like representing it in the lowest number of dimensions possible which would be the the waveform in one dimension uh i mean yeah we're getting to the limits of my understanding of all this this quantum sure. uh uh quantum field theory stuff but i mean i i my understanding is it, it would still have to be three dimensions and, and again mm -hmm. it, it would really be like a proper like extra dimension it would more just be something that's that's separate that we can't hmm. uh directly well we're, we're inter interacting with it but but we can't yeah like i said we can't we can't break it down into anything any any smaller parts yeah so that would be like a conceptual dimension right right which i think can be a really valuable way to look at things but mm -hmm. um but again i would i would say even going into the physical dimension, uh, I, I think it's possible to represent consciousness 
in any arbitrary number of dimensions. And maybe the reason why we perceive this world as being three dimensions is because that's the framework by which this makes sense, by, by which physical uh, laws seem to manifest in a way that tie things together to, 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 to give constancy, right? To give it a shape that is relatable, is understandable. So, so is your idea that there's kind of like an infinite number of of different iterations of the universe with different numbers of dimensions kind of yeah. up to up to like an infinite number of dimensions yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I still don't think i, I buy that I, th I think i kind of kind of see your point mm -hmm. i mean yeah it is an interesting question if if you know if the idea that they're they're are like an infinite number of of little island universes happening that each kind of have a different set of of fundamental laws mm -hmm. like which which of those are tr are there any of those that don't change randomly mm -hmm. and it, it actually it goes a little bit my, my concept of this goes a little bit uh different from from that uh just an our, our infinite number of dimensions and infinite number of worlds because i think that in this world right now things can be represented in a meaningful way in different numbers of dimensions and so as the nature of the things of the ideas changes to the point where it makes more sense to represent them in a different number of dimensions then our perception of the world will change to represent that world in that number of dimensions right but what could what could possibly initiate a, a change like that <laughs> <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> i don't know i think it's just uh one of those things where perception i think i think as you change your perception of the world then it's your it's your perception of the world that is tangible that that is your experience and so if your perception of the world is it is in three dimensions and that's how things make sense well that's fine and good and if your understanding of the world grows and evolves into this thing that can't fit in three dimensions and suddenly it makes more sense to think about it in four dimensions and you do that, then you're experiencing a world in four dimensions and that's all there is to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I still don't know about that. <laughs> Why not? Well, because well, just because you, well, okay. <laughs> what does it mean to, to experience something in four dimensions? And like, do, do you actually believe that like, if you live, if you just keep living, and you have like the right insight or are quote unquote like looking at things in the right way you could actually change the number of d dimensions you're living in it seems possible to me i won't make an assertion this i know is crazy out there stuff but since we're talking about terence mckenna i feel emboldened and i'll say 
it seemed quite possible to me. Yeah. I, I kind of lost it, I guess. Uh, is this an idea that he actually had, or is this... I I don't think he's ever framed it in these particular terms. This is just kind of the way that I look at it. But I yeah. do know that he has talked about transcending the physical plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. <laughs> or, or I think also into a higher number of dimensions. He talked about that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I I I know that's that's something people say a lot to describe a DMT trip. Mm. That you're yeah that there's this kind of extra dimensional geometry and somehow the geometry is, is conveying, is conveying ideas and meaning. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think this, this segues nicely into something I uh, wanted to talk about, which is the question of whether psychedelics are, are conferring true knowledge. Mm. Or I, I think, I, I guess the question is more when, when are they, when are they conferring true knowledge and when are they not? Hmm. Well, let me tell you, Trevor, I have a clear and concise answer for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoa, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, you, did you come to that conclusion under the influence of psychedelics? No comment. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I think it is an interesting, interesting question because when you're in these states, there are, there are things that can just seem so true, mm. so obviously true, mm. and, and like viscerally true that it's hard to it's hard to see that they could they could be wrong, and and yeah, the, the big example of this for me was was realizing that free will doesn't exist. Mm. The second time I I, I took acid. And I'd been a thought I'd you know been kind of playing around with my head, but mm-hmm. but but yeah, d- during that experience, it it just kind of came crashing down on me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's I mean, kind of a cliche, but you could say that psychedelics are kind of just like jet fuel. You're pouring onto what's there already, and if you have this framework, this idea you're playing with that oh these words free free will doesn't exist then when you do the psychedelics you'll see the truth in that and it, yeah it, it, it's a certainty right it's like uh, a knowledge but it's 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 also possible to get drawn into falsehoods as well false certainties like people will describe knowing that they are going to die from the psychedelic trip and then you know it's it's just being caught in caught in a loop in your head and you're totally fine and there's been no lasting damage afterward right right and yeah yeah part of, part of the reason I wanted to bring this up is there's this famous story about Terence and his brother Dennis at uh this place La Chirera, which is somewhere in, in South America and um and they took mushrooms for like every day for i think like two weeks or something Mm. (laughs) and and just spent it like frantically trying to transcribe what the what the mushroom was telling them yeah (laughs) (laughs) which (laughs) yeah i i i I can't imagine doing that (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i don't know i think it 
entirely depends on what you bring to it. And you'll mm-hmm. you'll see the truth in the, the ideas that you bring to it. And if you're just looking for it for answers, I mean, you might get anything. Yeah. And in the end, you know, even if there's some crazy thing that that feels like it was just beamed into your head from something external to you, like it, it all has to come from from either like direct input from your environment or ideas that were already there and are just being connected in, in different ways. Yeah. Cause that, that's, that's also part of what, what these, these substances do is, is allow different parts of your brain to communicate that, mm-hmm. that normally wouldn't. Although I will say like, I, I, I agree on that 100%. That it's all things that were in your head and they're just being connected in new ways. Um, I will say I think I can appreciate how Terence McKenna could come to a perception of it being stuff being beamed in from an external source um, because I have had an experience on a very small amount of mushrooms. Nonetheless, it felt like I was the mushrooms. <laughs> I know <laughs> I know how that sounds. Uh, <laughs> I, it, I had the experience. I was this psychedelic substance perceiving the world through the membrane that was this human body that I called Eric. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, if if your identity starts to break down, then there's kind of no distinction there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The mushroom is taking Eric. <laughs> <laughs> there's a Neil Gaiman short novel uh, about, uh, like, the underworld of, of London. It's this kind of fantastical world and there's these like mushroom people and there's this entity that's called the mushroom and like at at the market the mushroom people have the the mushroom there and then they slice bits off of the mushroom and sell them as food and if you eat the raw mushroom then the spores get in you and convert you into a mushroom person whose sole desire is to uh, spread the spores of the mushroom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, but fungi are weird things. <laughs> mm. They're, yeah. Well, you know what they say about Paul Stamets. Uh, I don't know who that is, so I, I don't know what they say about him. He's a fun guy. <laughs> uh, uh... <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, although, although, I mean, kind of, kind of loose connection, but I do think it's interesting to talk about what his opinions on art were. Hmm. And this, this kind of goes along with the culture thing. Um, because one of his things was you shouldn't consume culture, you should create it. Hmm. Like you shouldn't just mindlessly be consuming whatever whatever popular media is feeding you. Yeah. You should be more focused on, on creating and, mm. and you know forging relationships with your friends mm. um which you know I, I i agree with mostly but like part of what we bond over with our friends are 
or is culture mm. is is shared shared cultural experience how would you define culture it's a good question uh i i think it's it's the set of values in a society it's the set of ideas in a society and it's the the collection of i would say art plays it plays a, a big part in defining it including like fashion hmm. and and literature so could we maybe generalize it to say that culture is a finite set of ideals that we sort of cling to as a group of people and in so doing find an identity therein yeah yeah they're they're the things that distinguish us from from other groups of people mm -hmm. so that we know that we kill everyone else right right <laughs> <laughs> all, all the people who listen to to uh to pop country <laughs> i didn't say notice i didn't say country i said pop country that is country today anyway <laughs> <laughs> um but i i i not recently but i remember hearing at some point uh turns my kind of talk about how he felt like there wasn't relate that the music out there that was like inspiring us mm. to create this new culture and to to kind of further this this psychedelic revolution that was happening mm. and i always kind of i always kind of wondered what music he was envisioning i i did see i, I but i did see somewhere like recently this past week about him talking about how 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 much he kind of appreciated trance culture mm. so i guess maybe that's, that's part <laughs> of it but that the fact that like in that situation it's it is about like bonding with your friends and and there's way less sexual repression and it's kind of giving yourself up to the to the moment and just living in the moment that kind of thing yeah which 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 kind of almost seems in line with like passive consumerism right because that also is about just well maybe maybe that's the difference maybe passive consumerism is less about living in the moment and more about hiding from the moment yeah it, it's yeah it's hiding from the moment and hiding from from contemplating like ex existence and mm. and and death and all that stuff and just kind of you know continually just, just searching for the next little little hit of hit of dopamine of of just kind of uh base satisfaction i've definitely ever. felt that in popular culture and in uh communities like you know in in high school and that sort of situation there's a very powerful fear of silence and of stillness yeah someone always has to be like awkward silence <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> right why can't it just be a comfortable silence yeah or a pregnant silence yeah Yeah, and I think I mean I I even find find this with myself when I'm just you know at home alone. Like I I almost always have I'm like listening to music or or I'm listening to a, a podcast or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often do as well, and and often I am aware that I'm getting stuck in that pattern and will 
try to give myself some space for silence, even if it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it forces you to be, to, to confront your thoughts. Mm. Or phrased another way, your your thoughts are no longer masked. There's nothing for them to hide behind, and so you see them. Right. Yeah, there, there's nothing to distract you from them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think Terrence they can also described culture as as. <laughs> A childish, a childish illusion that's also an intelligence test. Huh. <laughs> so, like, if if you're smart enough, you'll realize that it's just kind of a construction that's that's holding in, in these boxes. But the boxes are are kind of arbitrary, mm -hmm. and they're and they're distracting you from from your full potential and what's real. Kind kind of in the same way he talked about religion as as distracting, like true from true spiritual experiences. Right. As a construct that we've erected around an idea which hides the idea. So yeah, we didn't really mention it directly, but if if you're if you if you hadn't heard of Terence McKenna before, uh, and are interested in what we're talking about, there are literally hours and hours on YouTube of just him talking about really interesting stuff. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he he was a he was a person. <laughs> <laughs> Key takeaway. <laughs> Key takeaway. <laughs>